All right, if you're anything like me, you hate running out of food on a trip. It's like a big fear, and so I'm I'm a big fan of snacks during an adventure, and one of my absolute favorite go-to snacks are wonderful pistachios. You may be familiar with pistachios and the brand Wonderful Pistachios, but if you're not, they are one of the highest protein nuts out there. One ounce serving of Wonderful Pistachios is six grams of protein. That's 10% of your daily value. It also includes nine essential amino acids, and they come with a ton of different flavors, varieties. There's a spicy version, there's lightly salted, there's no salted, there's so many. And every time I go on an adventure, I not even lying, I take an entire bag with me. And what's cool too, I love having the wonderful pistachio in shell because then that almost gives me something to do and focus on as I'm paddling or biking through the really monotonous parts of the adventure. Every great adventure is going to have plenty of boring moments and it's nice to have something to do and also something that is giving you some fuel like wonderful pistachios. So they're one of my favorite adventure snacks, favorite road trip snacks, and definitely leave me feeling better than a lot of other snacks you can turn to. So if you want to learn more about how to fuel your next adventure with wonderful pistachios, go to wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today is episode 990, which is crazy. And we're, and we're talking to somebody who I've known about for years and have always wanted to get on the show, but you know, there's just so many great adventures out there. You, you almost, you know, a year, two years, three years can go by before you've made the connection. Well, I was able to connect with Kurt Ref Snyder, and we're going to hear about his most recent epic adventure, which is the Continental Divide Trail, which I'm sure you've heard of, but he's doing it by bike. And you might be asking, I thought, you know, bikes couldn't go on that trail. Well, that's true for a lot of the trail, but quite a bit of it, I'd say most of it, you can ride a bike on. It's just really, 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 really difficult. Kind of like the Colorado Trail. It's, you know, mostly known as a, a hiking trail, but technically you can ride a bike on it. It's just really hard because it's not, uh, a lot of it's not actually bikeable. It's you know, you got to hike and bike and carry it over big passes and huge uh, steps and down huge steps. It's it's really wild. Well, the Continental Divide Trail is similar. And what's cool about Kurt's story is, I, I mean, he literally has 20 adventures he could do, if not more, that we could have as its own individual podcast. We wanted to focus on this one because it was so unique and something I'd never done. And if you know anything about Kirk's story, uh, you know that he was a professor for years and taught geology and studied geology. And after years of, of education, left all that to pursue some of the biggest and not only pursue, but win and set records on some of the toughest bikepacking races in the world. Uh, the Tour Divide, the Arizona Trail 300 and 700, the Colorado Trail, the Iditarod Trail, uh, all, all these races he was not only winning, but sometimes setting course records uh, that still stand today. And with his background in, in geology and love for kind of the earth and love for exploration, uh, he brings a really unique perspective to bikepacking and also adventure and is a co-founder of 
Bikepacking Roots, an organization all about the culture and kind of promoting the sport of bikepacking. And I remember him from my uh, early bikepacking days. He was kind of a well-known figure because of all the, the races he was taking down. And uh, I remember his absolutely epic mullet back then, too. Uh, he has since cut that, but he's still just as badass as ever. So this, this is a long time coming. This is a really special episode, and uh, I hope you enjoy hearing this crazy story about the Continental Divide Trail by bike. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today is, oh man, like someone that we should have probably had on years ago. But it's just like you're always out. You're like that one of those people that's just like at some point, it just makes too much sense. Uh, but it just now we're finally getting around to it. Kurt Ref Snyder, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. How you doing? Thanks so much, Mason. I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, you, you look like you're coming from uh, some sort of cabin or something. Is it a cabin? And if so, where are you coming from today? Oh, and is that this home? Is my, this is my house. It's a little, it feels like a cabin, feels like a kind of wooden boxcar inside but it's a little house built in the 40s above prescott in the mountains prescott arizona yep this is this is home base even though i only seem to spend like three months a year here at this point how does it feel to be home man i was on the trail for three months and on the road for a bit before that and earlier this year i was in alaska for six plus weeks and so it's a little it's always overwhelming to get back home after a series of big adventures and I mean just like catching up on life and all of that but also just having the space to sit back and kind of reflect and try to relax and try to not move on to the next big thing or move on to thinking about the next big thing which that alone is overwhelming to me so it feels good to be here and at the same time it's always a little hard what do you look forward the most to getting back home after an adventure is it like your coffee routine or is it like no it, interestingly it's the trails the mountain bike trails the little mountains here in the the central highlands of arizona it's you know my my backyard that's a lot of what keeps me here is just loving the landscape around where i live and and getting out into that and so that's one of the things i miss when i'm elsewhere is like this my my home landscape and so that's i think that's usually what i look forward to getting back to the most there's a time for everything and you know, I'm sure by the end of an adventure, you're ready for, for certain things uh, to, to, to be back home. You know, it's always, I'm sure, bittersweet. Um, and it's a you know, really good time of reflection. We're going to try to help you with that. Tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you've been doing the last three months. Specifically, uh, you know I, know, I know it's been a lot this year, but the, the last three months. <laughs> yeah, so, so this year I decided to take on a couple big challenges that had intimidated me for a long time and one of those was biking the length of the continental divide trail and so a lot of folks are familiar with the great divide mountain bike route which is a parallel basically dirt road kind of rough dirt road route from southern canada to mexico down the spine of the continent uh bouncing back and forth across the continental divide for what 2700 miles or so and then a lot of folks are familiar with the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, these cross-country hiking routes that are completely closed to bike traffic. And then there's the Continental Divide Trail, which is kind of parallel and crisscrosses the Great Divide mountain bike route. And it's another one of these three uh, big long distance hiking trails. And unlike the Pacific Crest or the Appalachian Trail, about, I don't know, 65% or so of the CDT is open to bikes. And very few people have ridden the whole thing the whole bike legal version of it or a bike legal version of it. A lot of people ride sections of it. Sections are really popular for mountain bikers in Montana. Colorado has a lot of the Colorado trail that follows the CDT. And so my goal was to try to ride uh, the, the full length of the, the CDT as far as the, the bike legal parts of it go, which is really, really hard. I think only three people have ever done it. And all, we've all done slightly different variations at this point and uh so we can talk more about those early trips because those were really really influential uh but it's one i've wanted to do for god since i first saw a cdt sign when i was living in colorado and saw this like what is the cdt continental divide trail and that was back in like 2009 and so i've wanted to ride it ever since and finally the the pieces fell into place the 
the motivation, the I think the kind of courage I needed to build up to trust that I could actually do it, uh, and then being able to get a, a big chunk of time to work with for for that. Usually, it's a challenge. Courage and in time. Courage. Oh. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's a chapter of a book somewhere. Um, courage and time. If I have that, I'll find the money. You know that that that's what it comes down to. So. Mm -hmm. You, dude, with with so much experience, I mean, you've done so many different trails: Colorado Trail, Arizona Trail, uh, Iditarod Trail, Tour Divide, all that. Why why was this one intimidating? Was it just because it's a hiking trail primarily, meaning that it would be a lot more difficult? Like, what what about this was so daunting to someone with your experience? Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it. Like, I love remote, raw trails. I've ridden you know thousands of miles on them in the West. But thinking about a trip that's 3,000 miles or more in length, that's mostly that kind of trail, like that's hugely demanding for both mind and body, uh, being able to find enjoyment on a trail like that, that can be so hard for so many days at a time. Like that's no small feat. The, the first two folks that rode the trail uh, were Scott Morris and Esther Haraney, and they're both friends of mine. They, did, they rode it in 2014, so basically a decade ago. And Together. at the time we were like, Yep, they rode it together, and it took them, I think they were out for about four months. They took some time off to work along the way and wait for snow to melt along the way. And I was following along so closely. They both blogged about it and heard so many stories from them since then about it, and it was so hard. And they're both incredibly strong and accomplished riders. At, at that time, they, they were, and even more so now. So just hearing from them, like two folks that love hard things and love hard trails, and how much they struggled with it. Just that, that was in the back of my mind ever since, since their ride. I wanted to make sure, like I wanted to have fun out there. That's, that's why I ride a bike. Like that's the biggest reason. And I think there was a lot of fear in my back of my mind that, man, it's so hard doing that for three months. Like it's going to be really hard to enjoy it for, for that whole length of time. So that was a big, I think a big stumbling block for me to get over when I was starting to more seriously think about riding the trail. And the reasoning is because it's um, a hiking trail. I'll be honest. I didn't know you could ride a bike on even that much of it. Most of the hikers out there don't know that either. That was my next question was like, <laughs> did hikers say, what, what are you doing out here? Bikes can't be on this trail. Did that happen a lot? No. So a lot of people were shocked to see me riding it. None of them were at all uh, confrontational or were like, you can't ride here. Like, more often it was the conversations like i feel like i had this conversation probably 60 times with folks because i stopped and talked to to so many of the hikers i met along the way and they're like oh you're on the great divide mountain bike route it's like no and you know we'd be up on some ridge line on single track and like no that that route's down down in that valley over there i'm riding the cdt and they'd, they'd sort of look back at me like you're riding the cdt this and the CDT I'm hiking. It's like, yeah, you're biking this. Wow. <laughs> and then we get into the, the usual, just like, well, how many miles can you cover in a day? And how much are you carrying your bike? Or how do you ride up the steep stuff? I'm like, I'm, I'm not like, I end up pushing my bike so much or my bike's literally on my back. I'm carrying it. And, uh, you know, these conversations will go on for, you know, five or 10 minutes usually. And we just share some stories and then continue on down the trail. Um, but yeah, every, almost every hiker was shocked to, to hear that you could ride a big chunk of it and that people actually, a few people try. Uh, and then I also ran into, man, there are probably 15 through hikers or so I, I ran into that were also bike packers and we're, we're excited to see wow. someone doing that. They're like, Oh, I, I'd love to ride like maybe a few bits of this. Or there were a couple I met that had been seeing so many people on the great divide mountain bike route. And we're like, Oh, I think I want to ride that next year. So there's definitely a lot of crossover uh, between the the younger through hiking crowd and and bike packers, which is really cool to see. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear, 
All this meaning to drive the defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website, and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business, making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. That is really cool, man. We, so so have, having done it, um, I've done most. I've done the Tour Divide and most of the Colorado Trail on bike. Mm-hmm. There's just a totally different mindset when it goes into a single track or primarily single track hiking trail. What were some of those changes that you felt like or that you decided to make because this was basically a, a 3,000 mile hike and bike? <laughs> um, what, what was like, okay, I can't, you know, rely on this, which I would do for something like the tour divide or like the trans North Georgia or something. What, what were some of those major changes in your, I guess, strategy? I think the one of the biggest ones is, is in mindset more than anything else, like coming to the realization that these days are going to be really short in terms of mileage and long in terms of hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're out there for so long, working so hard to cover so few miles in a day and you know, in a, like I've raced tour divide three times, I think. And, and one of those years I was averaging like 190 miles a day yeah. and on um, say the Arizona trail, like racing the Arizona trail, you can even, I think the fastest year I went, I was averaging like 90 miles a day and that, you know, you're riding most of the night in those. So it's not like you're, you're sleeping most of the night and riding during the day on the CDT. My goal was sleep long hours every night, like recovery was a big goal. My, my goal was not around trying to ride it fast per se, like speed was not a goal of, of any sort, but there's also the reality that you can only carry so much food. And there were a lot of sections that resupplies were four or five days apart for me. And five days is about the most I can carry for food on the setup I had. And so really when I was planning the trip out, I was thinking, okay, well maybe like 55 miles a day or 50 miles a day, something in that range is what I can plan on. So I was starting to go through, you know, make my spreadsheet of, of just what the terrain is like and mileage and elevation gain between resupplies and trying to figure out what, you know, how much really hard single track is going to be on a section versus easier trail or double track bits here and there. And I was talking to my teammate, Kate Boyle, about um, my kind of the planning. And she's like, that sounds like too many miles in a day. You should, you should plan for fewer. And I was like, well, really? So I was like, well, maybe 45. And so I read the whole spreadsheet and I was like, man, this is, this is going to be hard. <laughs> like that was, I think when reality started to, to really hit that if, if it was going to be 45 miles a day for three months, like that just underscores how hard the trail is going to take or going to be. And so I, I ultimately planned everything around 40 to 45 miles a day, like 40 miles for the harder sections, 45 for the easier sections. And that turn turned out to be so, uh, so close to reality, which 
early on, I think in my, the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I, th I think I underestimate. I think I can do more than this. And it's going to, this trip's going to be a little easier than I thought. That was not the case at all. And a lot of those days were, you know, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 feet of climbing in 45 miles. Like that's twice, I think that comes out to be twice what the Colorado Trail has. There's 60%, something like that, like considerably more than what the Colorado Trail has mile per mile for climbing. And, you know, you've seen the Colorado Trail. It's like, it's a well-traveled trail. It sees a lot of use. The tread is you know, it's super rocky and loose in places, but at least you've got a tread that's, you know, 18 inches wide and easy to follow. And the CDT has so many sections where you get to meadows and the tread just disappears. Or, you know, it's, it sees some use, but it's a very faint trail. There's vegetation growing in it. It's, you know, rocks embedded all over the place in it. And you're just bumping along, working hard at three miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Man, and don't was, get me wrong. Like, I I love that kind of trail. Yeah, yeah, no, it that, sounds that was, awesome. that was why it was there. Was that kind of riding? But yeah, it just it's you weren't like, what in the world did I? You know, you knew what you were getting into, probably more than anybody did. Yeah. And uh, what was the longest stretch you had to hike your bike? Uh, as well as I'm going to ask two questions in one. That's a huge no no for podcasters, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> longest time you had to hike, and also was there a moment maybe in that that was. I should not have a bike with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start with the second one first. I've done so many ridiculous rides with bikes in places that bikes just aren't the right tool for the job that I've kind of come to terms with just, I like having a bike along with me, even yeah. if I only get to ride it for, you know, a couple hours a day, as long as some of that riding is really good, it doesn't even have to be long. Like it's, there's something magical about being in a really challenging place with a bike and then finding the stretch of trail that maybe is like 10 minutes long and it's up on a ridge line, absolutely stunning views and some of the best riding you can imagine. Like for me, that makes hours of toil worth it uh, just to, to experience that little bit. Most people would shake their head and be like, there's no way I'm dragging my bike for hours to get to that little section of trail. But I love it. I don't think like there wasn't any time on the trip that I was actually like, I shouldn't have my bike. This is dumb. Other than a few times in deadfall. There's a ton of deadfall along sections of the trail. And it's not like, you know, 30 trees down. Sometimes it's like 300 trees down over a few miles. Is there, and you're is just, there a reason? Storm, fire, just kind of different things? Beetle kill is beetle the kill. biggest one. Okay. Yep. There have been a few up in Montana. There was a huge outbreak of, I think, a couple different kinds of pine beetles like 15, 20 years ago. And so much of those forests are, you know, dead, but still standing or like half are still, half the trees are still standing. And every winter, hundreds of them come down across any, you know, 10 mile section of trail. So trail crews, forest service trail crews have so much work to do to get through those. And they work on it every year, but there's always, because they will clear where the trail is just so yep. folks know, but you know, there's just that much every year, or there might be something that happens that leads to a bunch. It happens here with hurricanes. Like the Florida yeah. trail gets covered with hundreds of trees, literally hundreds, uh, in one season due to a hurricane. And it takes, it takes time to get through it. Yep. Yep. And some of that, like I was going through the Northern part of the trail, I went Southbound. So I was going through Montana kind of early season. I waited a little longer than I kind of wanted to, to hopefully let trail crews do some work. And I was fortunately behind quite a few of them. Um, and so I'd see sections that like you could literally smell the sawdust that had been generated just from the prior week and one one place um a wilderness bypass i was on i ran into a trail crew out there and they're like what are you doing with a bike here and i was like yeah trying to get around the wilderness and they're like huh well there's eight miles of trail ahead that we didn't get to clear this year might get done next year That's <laughs> so there were there were some sections like that um i don't know there i don't think there were any particularly long stretches where I was just hiking. Like there are days where I probably spent half the day pushing my bike or carrying my bike, but it was always, you know, up one pass, then you get to ride some down the other side. And then the whole next climb might be another 3000 feet of, of pushing to get up. And then I had some wilderness bypass sections. I took that, uh, like for, for listeners that, that don't know bikes aren't, you can't even carry a bike through wilderness official wilderness it's completely bikes are completely prohibited so have to go around them and 
there's options on like you can hop on the Great Divide mountain bike route and follow that around a lot of wilderness sections as a, a convenient detour. And I, I made the questionable decision to try to find some single track options around the two biggest wilderness sections that I had to get around, uh, one of which was the Bob Marshall up in northern Montana. And there's some trails I had been eyeing on maps for years that run along the east side of that, along the Rocky Mountain front. And on paper, they look phenomenal. And in reality, you can hardly even find some of them on the ground. And so the beginning of my trip was I had like a day of pavement to get around Glacier Park and then a little bit of CDT. And then this first bypass was like four days to get around the Bob Marshall. And I hiked so much. There's one section that maps showed a trail going up the steep slope. I get there and I'm like, oh, this isn't a steep slope. This is a cliff and there's no trail. And like I knew there was trail on the other side. I had a friend that had ridden down the other side and he's like, it's a phenomenal descent. I just had to get over this ridge to get to it. And it was either like backtrack 10 miles out and go way around, trespass on private property, which I didn't want to do, or negotiate this cliff. And this was like day three of the trip or day four. And so there I'm in the evening, literally taking my bike apart and carrying my frame up, carrying wheel up, carrying bags up this cliff that you're able to scramble up it. But a bike was not the right thing to be lugging along up this thing. <laughs> and so that was, that was a bit of a reality check early on in the trip. Just like I'm completely worked. There's no trail here. I made a, you know, some questionable choices with my, my route research on that part, since that wasn't official CDT. And maybe I need to be a little more careful with my planning going forward. And so that. You know, that was that was a kind of a rude way to start the trip, completely my own fault with my planning or lack thereof, <laughs> some of the research for that. But it was a really cool way to get through and made it. And, you know, it's one of those odd things that in the moment it was like, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? And afterward, it's kind of a highlight, just like, yeah, yeah. Didn't expect there to be a cliff there that I had to take my bike apart and carry up. But there it was. You, you got to know that that is... That's the story. That is the story. <laughs> and eventually you're going to tell it on a podcast and wherever Probably. else you end up telling it. So yeah, that is, that is really, I mean, it really sets the tone for this kind of experience and what you're, what you're getting into now, because this was so close, like you've already mentioned a few times to, you know, the great divide mountain bike route, did it feel, I mean, did you feel like you recognized the space or, or, or did it feel similar or like, I know this place or did it feel like something totally new, totally different? Yeah, so I've spent, so like I mentioned earlier, I've ridden, raced the Great Divide Mountain Bike Group three times in Tour Divide and ridden sections of it on other trips. And I've ridden a lot of CDT sections over the years. Like, I'm just like, there's this gravity to the corridor along the Continental Divide that has really pulled me in a lot. So there are lots of sections that I knew, lots of sections that, you know, I might not have been on that particular ridgeline, but I could see down in the valley, like, oh, that's where the Great Divide Mountain Bike Group is. And so it was, it was, I really enjoyed seeing the landscape from a very different perspective. Uh, riding the the CDT, it was kind of entertaining to just think about like, wow, I, I was just in say uh, like Helena or near Helena two days ago on the Great Divide mountain bike route. I'd be like way down there, you know, 200 miles ahead by now, and I can I can still see the valley where Helena is behind me two days later. <laughs> like, just progress was so slow. And and um, Lachlan Morton, uh, pro pro mountain biker and roadie, he time trialed the tour divide route while I was out there. And I thought it was hilarious because he rode it faster than anyone else ever had like some, something insane, like 12 and a half days or something like that. And so he passed me. So he started, you know, two months after I did and passed me when I was in Southern Colorado. Well, you know, I was up on some Ridge or something and he bolted by in the night down below. And then a few days later he was done. It's like, wow, I made it. What? Like, 300 miles in the time that he rode 2,700. <laughs> so I think that just wrapping my mind around the, again, the, the speed or the lack thereof uh, biking the CDT compared to, so to the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route, that was something that you, know, you couldn't think too hard about because that's just the reality, the difference of those two routes. No difference in effort, probably similar effort from both of you in the sense of doing <laughs> what you could to get through it. Um, what was some of the benefits of going that slow? Did it allow more time to pay attention to some of the details of the route or did it allow less with just having to work harder? You know, you tell me what were some of those things that really helped you? Yeah, it's, oh man, that's, that's a great question. I mean, 
I think any trail like that where you're moving so slowly, it means that either it's so hard that you're just really focused on making forward progress a lot of the time, or it's so like technically difficult that you're really focused on the trail itself, like the rocks ahead of you or the benefit to not chasing any sort of fast time or anything was that I stopped and just sat down and looked around like so much of the time. Like, you know, had plenty of time to, to just enjoy myself and take it in. It was a little challenging in Montana with the bugs because they were pretty horrendous for the first, God, the first month. They were bad. Uh, just the first month. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's hard to say. I think any time that you end up, I mean, if, if you're kind of traveling through one particular area and you're moving so slow that it takes you two or three days to get through there, you get a good feel for just what you know, what the daily rhythm is for the wildlife and what the vegetation's like and, you know, the, that feel that if you're moving quickly, you don't necessarily spend enough time there to really experience that. So I think that was something that was I mean, more like hiking, more like backpacking um, in that sense. Because the reality was I was only covering, you know, 10 or 15 miles more a day than some of the hikers were on the trail. So our speeds weren't actually all that different. Yeah. And I was thinking, I mean, I think the FKT on the Appalachian trails, like 45 miles a day, I think is the yeah. average. So, I mean, obviously it's a different, totally different experience. They're running and they're, they're not carrying anything. They've got people kind of helping them with that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I was going to say it probably feels a lot closer to backpacking, but still the advantage of finishing in like, you know, half the time for yep. time off, you know, it's definitely a lot more doable for more people, but it is. Yeah. And then also it was really nice when I'd get to dirt road sections because there are a fair number of, of dirt road walks on the CDT that, that hikers have to use uh, in, in certain areas where the trail just it's all public or all private land or something like that. And those sections were great because then I could cover, you know, 70 miles a day pretty comfortably and make some good progress and not be spending time on on dirt roads because I don't have anything against dirt roads, but that's not what I was out there for. It was, excited to get to the next next section of trail so that was really nice to not be still moving the same speed on the dirt roads was there anything on this experience that you found really surprising or really uh unforeseen that you know someone with your experience would you wouldn't i don't know think about ahead of time i think a couple things uh one was was with the hikers that i met out there like i didn't i didn't expect them to be so friendly and welcoming to someone on a mountain bike. Were you worried about that a little bit? A like... little bit. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the organization, the nonprofit behind the trail is like, yeah, it's not a bike route. Like it's for hikers and equestrians. We don't want mountain bikers to be out there negatively impacting the experience of hikers. And man, the hikers I ran into were so friendly. There were a bunch that I ran into multiple times and, you know, they cheer you on and always excited to hear how it's going. And, you know, it was like, I felt right literally from the first hikers I met on the trail, like very welcomed into that, that community, which I did not expect um, at all. And then I think the other thing was, you know, I knew it was going to be hard and I didn't, I didn't foresee how drained, physically drained I was going to be so much of the time that, you know, I was, you know, I was touring quote unquote, you know, wasn't racing in any sense, but by the time I finished uh, more or less the the Idaho and Montana section of the trail, which took about a month. Um, I'd planned to take a week off in Teton Valley where my van was and just spend some time recovering and catching up on some some work stuff. And I got there and I was physically at least as drained as when I had raced Tour Divide, like after finishing Tour Divide. I wasn't sleep deprived in the same way as a race like that, but my body was just empty. And the last day I had... That, that section is a bunch of detour around Yellowstone National Park and Grand Teton National Park. So it was a lot of dirt road and, and pavement to get down to Teton Valley. And I think I did 80 miles. That was my longest day, like 80 miles of the whole trip. And I struggled with every single mile that day just to keep moving. Like I was so tired. And the riding was some of the easiest of the entire trip that day. Like it was basically flat dirt roads or downhill. And it was like, I, I felt like I was barely able to make it to, to town. So that I didn't foresee how hard that, like how physically draining it was going to be. And fortunately, Idaho and Montana were far and away the toughest terrain and toughest trail. And so the first month was really hard. And then, you know, ironically, you get to Colorado and you think of the big, big mountains, big terrain, it's going to be harder, but the 
it was more traffic, just better trail overall. Uh, wasn't wasn't quite as draining. And then New Mexico was less traveled again. I came down with a bit of Giardia or something very similar to Giardia, which kind of sapped my energy for a week. And the weather turned horrible. So a lot of things conspired against me to, to really slow me down and challenge me in New Mexico, but the terrain and trails there were a little bit bit easier. So it wasn't wasn't as bad as Montana and Idaho. How did your your love in uh, education come into play <laughs> for this kind of thing? Because I feel like, you know, I want to ask this, you know, being having a PhD in earth science and being a you know geology professor for the events you do race, the races you do, you know, you're competing. Is it difficult for you to not want to stop and kind of inspect <laughs> that stuff and look at that stuff and really dive in? Because, you know, I, I have interests that are similar and even when I'm out riding, I'm, I find myself stopping constantly to check out, you know, this plant, mm-hmm. or this animal, or this feature. How much more so for you? And were you able to just engage with that on this on this experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think being familiar with the landscape and the geology already, um, from having spent a lot of time along the way, that helps. That it's just not all new and mind blowing to you, you know, with every turn, basically. Uh, so that, that made it a little easier. And at least when I'm racing, it's easy for me to focus on the task at hand. Just be like. This, this geology is amazing. This landscape's amazing. I'm going to come back and spend more time here later kind of attitude. And that, that has actually spawned quite a few subsequent adventures for me um, you know, in places that I've raced and wanted to see more of. Uh, in this one, you know, being able to just sit down and, and take things in along the way, definitely it was a, a really positive distraction for me, especially in parts of New Mexico that some of that landscape was a little less familiar and just seeing it from such a different perspective and seeing how all the pieces fit together in this bigger kind of landscape evolution story. That was so fascinating to me and was, was one of the more enjoyable parts of some of the New Mexico experience. Um, man, in Montana, I felt like I was, I was so tired, like being challenged so much by the trail itself that is like, Oh, this is, this is cool geology here. I can't really think about that right now. That was, that was kind of what, what was going on in my mind for, for a lot of the time there. So there's definitely spots that I want to get back to up there and spend more time and better understand what, what I was seeing and what I was passing through, but didn't just didn't have the energy for in the moment. Sounds like you got what you're looking for out of this experience. I did. Yeah. And I think in the last, I think the last couple, like two weeks, week and a half of the ride, I, I really came to that realization that I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like, but I had this kind of vision for the kind of experience I wanted to have out there and the kind of challenge I wanted uh, to experience along the way and the kind of mindset I wanted to be able to hopefully maintain along the way to really find enjoyment in all of it. And in that last week and a half, I was like, wow, I'm actually going to pull this off. And this is exactly how I wanted it to be. Yeah, I do feel like I got everything I wanted to out of it. And, you know, there's, there's nothing like, Oh, I wish I had, you know, ridden that little section that I had to skip because of deadfall or, you know, this or that, like, nah, it was, it all worked out exactly. I feel like, like it should have along the way. So don't, it, it feels good to not really have any, any regrets or anything like that about how things played out. What do you think you'll look back on with this experience when people ask, you know, Hey, how was that? <laughs> continental divide trail ride you know what, what what's some of the cool things that happens what do you think will be a story that will always be kind of a go-to that illustrates the experience or illustrates something cool that happened on the experience what will be like you'll never believe this oh man i mean some of it has to do with just my questionable decisions in those wilderness bypasses that i took like there's the one i talked about early on in the trip with the the trails that just vanished and scrambling up cliffs and things like that. And then down in, uh, down in Wyoming, I opted to follow the Wyoming range trail, which is, I've already ridden that in a full length of it twice. And it's hands down the hardest trail that I've ridden anywhere. Like it's 70 miles. It's a Wyoming range trail. It's a a national recreation trail. That designation means absolutely nothing other than that somebody filled out a form at some point to, to get that, (laughs) that designation. And it's, it's 70 miles long has something like, know 15,000 feet of climbing in it and it's absolutely stunning and the trail is ridiculously difficult with a bike and for some reason I thought I'll incorporate that in this ride it's kind of fitting and it turns out it's actually harder than pretty much any mile of CBT out there Uh, and it took three days on a loaded bike to get through 70 miles oh my gosh Um, but it was just like 
yeah, it was one of those those sections that felt like I just had to include it because it's so stunning. It fits with the general, you know, very backcountry riding feel fit with the hike a bike theme of <laughs> having to do so much of it along the way. So again, it was, you know, one of the hardest sections and one of the highlights of, of the whole trip. And so I think, and also the one section in, in Southern Montana, the, the Beaverhead mountains was another, it was a five day stretch on, on all official CDT. And that was 40 mile a day, just struggling to do 40 miles a day. And so stunning uh, with some of the worst bugs I've seen anywhere in the lower 48. Uh, but again, an absolute highlight of the whole thing. And so I, I think one of one of the things that that I'd share just down the line is like, yeah, it was ridiculously hard in places. And those were some of the places that I enjoyed the most along the whole trip. And so I think it's easy for us to to shy away from from hard things and hard sections of routes and things like that. But if your mind's in the right place, like those can be the best, the best parts of the experience or some of the best parts of the experiences. So I think that's that's a big big thing that I came away with, which doesn't bode well for me in planning adventures in the future <laughs> and being more willing to include ridiculously hard parts unnecessarily potentially in there. So that was great. Another highlight uh, was was meeting Aaron Weinsheimer. He was hiking the trail this season and he was the only person since Scott Nestor rode the trail in 2014 to bike it. And he rode it two years after they did. And now he's out there hiking it this year. And he's just, he's like, what is he now? He's probably 300 miles from, from Mexico. So he's almost done. And he's about to become the first person to have hiked and biked the CDT. Uh, and so I'd, I'd communicated with him a handful of times in the past, but we had never met. And so we crossed paths up in, in Montana, actually in the Beaverhead Mountains, and spent a few hours. I just hiked. hiked. Ironically, ironically, we lost the trail completely. So we were just hiking through sagey meadows together, chatting all morning. And just hearing his stories and his perspective from both riding it years before and now hiking it was really, really cool. Um, and I also asked him the, the question of like, well, do you think it's harder for bike packers or backpackers which devolved into the the question of who's tougher bike packers or backpackers <laughs> his conclusion backpackers are the tougher one because they're out, out, out so so much longer in between towns and so much more more self-reliant out out on the trail with you know much less regular access to the the creature comforts of of communities along the way so that was that was his perspective but yeah that that was a really special conversation to have with him um uh, and just just sharing some of those experiences since he's uh well he's poised to be the only person to have experienced the trail by both means of travel now he's got to go back and ride on a horse <laughs> I <was gonna> say, <laughs> what other means i mean that's about it right other than maybe handstand or unicycle which i'm yep. sure people people have probably unicycle or you know i know unicyclers have done the tour divide which we've never had one on the show we should that'd be really interesting. and the arizona trail there was a guy who rode the arizona trail on a unicycle one year <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think a lasting lesson from this trail will be that's unique you know I, I know you mentioned already the hardest parts being being the most rewarding and the most memorable and i feel like that's a great life lesson a lot of times uh but what what else do you think you're going to walk away and it's going to be a like kind of a lasting legacy of this experience i think a big part of it for me is just the the toughness part of it and how mindset is everything in that it's you know if you're two months into a trip like this an adventure like this like you're so fit like even if you didn't come in fit you've developed so much fitness like the trail itself isn't going to be the physical or the the, the limitation um or sorry your body isn't going to be the limitation necessarily for it it's it's going to be your mind and especially when it comes to in finding enjoyment when something is that hard or when it's just like really demanding for day after day after day and like I mentioned earlier, one of my biggest doubts was whether or not I could actually maintain the mindset you need for three months of doing something really hard uh, that asks so much of you for so much of the time and just be able to enjoy that for you know the vast majority of the time. And it turned out that I didn't I didn't really struggle with that part of it. Like I was able to enjoy it so much of it, you know, not there was there were some things along the way, some realizations I had that I think really helped in that. And one of them, for me, like I, I was really surprised I hadn't had this realization years ago, but so much of the time that 
I've spent out on trails. And so much of the time when I'm planning these trips, you end up thinking about like, well, there's, you know, these kind of benchmark locations along the way. And if you're planning, planning an itinerary, those are the things that you write down. Like this day, I'm going to be here. This day, I'm going to be here. Those are almost always towns, you know, for planning. That's where you get food, where you resupply. And so you need to be able to figure out, obviously, how long it's going to take you to get there, how many days worth of food you have to carry to do that. And what I realized like halfway through this trip was that because those were my all my benchmark locations and when I was out on the trail, it's like, oh, it's only only three more days to this town, only two more days to this town. That's what my mind started to fixate on a little bit was that town down the road. But I wasn't actually out on the trail to experience these towns like you know, they're there, they're where I'm going to get my food or get a box that I mailed to the post office. And there are places I might want to spend some time in at some other point in the future and just get to know the community. But they're not why I was out there this summer. So when I when I kind of recognized that and realized that that was pulling my attention away from where I was in the moment or where I wanted to maybe get to that night and started thinking about like, well, I want to get to this drainage tomorrow. And maybe that drainage in two days. Or you know, camping on this ridge line after this next town, that's my goal. And to pu- kind of pulling it away from thinking about the communities along the way as being the benchmarks because I was there to be in the backcountry, that really changed my mindset. And that was, it proved to be pretty powerful that, you know, I was so much more invested in the trail, the experience itself when I stopped thinking about the towns quite as much. I still was a little concerned so much of the time about, man, am I going to run out of food before I get to this next town? Do I, have, do I actually have enough? I'm going so slowly. Uh, and fortunately, that didn't, didn't quite came close, but didn't quite happen. Um, so still had to be thinking about the towns. It's a really cool thought. Yeah. And I don't, I, I feel like it should have crossed my mind at some point in the past with how much I've done, but it, it never, never had. So that was, I really, I'm grateful for having that realization and, and, and intrigued to see how that impacts future trips. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know, I I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is, don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots but they're innovative on comfort style and service they have western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot making process pretty cool they're austin designed texas tested and handmade And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. 
That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Well, well, tell me this. How do you think for listeners that that applies to just daily life? You know, not thinking about the town. What are the towns in daily life? Is it your bills? Yeah. Is it monthly? Is it the, is oh, it the it, cadence of a year or a cadence of your birthday? You know, is that like irrelevant? It could be, it could be anything. It could, I mean, it depends on scale. Like it could be, could be something within a day, like just trying to get to the end of the workday or just trying to get to the weekend and, or just trying to get to your next vacation, um, things like that. Whereas, and I think I get hung up by this, like the big, big adventures that I have coming up, like those are what my mind is thinking about. Like even in the back of my mind, I'm thinking for so long about like, do I have all this figured out? Do I have that? What's this going to be like? And the reality is that's, you know, six, six weeks away or two months away or something like that. And I've got all this other cool stuff I'm doing, even if it's just like a four hour ride from my house. And when I'm out there, my mind, back of my mind is like, oh, what about, what about this adventure? Uh, and so being able to, to focus a little bit more on the, the present and, you know, you hear, hear a lot about mindfulness and, and being present, being in the present. And for me, this was just a, a, I think a realization related to that is one of the things that pulls me out of the present. Uh, so I think for, for daily life, it can be anything like that, but just recognizing when your mind is getting distracted by something bigger or something a little farther off, pulling you away from what's going on in the moment or what's, you know, what you could be could be potentially enjoying and uh putting more more energy into right then what what would you say out on the trail itself some of those you said your mind wasn't as uh your 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 mental you weren't as mentally not mentally challenged but you weren't as challenged <laughs> mentally as as you thought you were going to be or you were able to kind of ha- have a lot of resilience in those moments um what do you think led to that in the sense of wh- where is your mind are you you know, is it positive self-talk? Is it just being grateful and appreciative? What is kind of your strategy when it comes to just staying strong mentally on these big experiences? On this one, and and also when I was up in Alaska in the winter. Um, yeah, I think you know, that would take a different level for me. <laughs> being from, being yeah, from a, thousand, a thousand miles in, in Alaska in March. Like, that's a whole, whole different beast. Um, and for both of those it was really important to remind myself, like you, you chose to be out here. Like this was a challenge you took on. No one else really cares if you're here. I mean, people are excited to follow along, but you know, they're, they're selfish pursuits in the end. And the, the reality is I chose to do it. I chose to decide to ride this route that has all these ridiculous climbs that aren't even remotely rideable on a bike, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, and recognizing that, that, you know, you wanted to come and do this for fun, make it fun, like find the enjoyment in it. And the bigger, I think the bigger picture on the CDT was what really helped with that. Like, you know, I didn't come out here to ride up this pass that isn't actually rideable and I'm going to be pushing for the next four hours, but I did come out here for the experience of traversing this mountain range along the way and thinking about that, you know, in the moment, you know, an hour that that could be horrendous and not enjoy it at all. But over the course of a few days, you accomplish something really cool. And something that you wouldn't accomplish had you not set out on this big challenge. Uh, and so that's, I think that's it's kind of a reward that I, I was more aware of along the way that um, kept, kept me more positive in the challenging times. And I think also just, and I have this, this phrase that has resonated with me for years that is just normalized difficult. That hard things don't feel as hard when you're accustomed to, to doing them. And that, that really came from when I was preparing for these ultra endurance, uh, mountain bike races, thinking about like, what's, what's the hardest part of it? What are you most intimidated by then incorporating some of that within reason into training to get used to it so that when you're actually there in the race, it doesn't feel nearly as hard as it would otherwise. And for better, for worse, I've spent so much time, like I mentioned earlier on kind of ridiculous trails with a bike that that in and of itself didn't feel out of the ordinary for me anymore. And I was just used to that. Like, oh, I have to push my bike for the next three hours. Or like in New Mexico, there was one spot I got to a private ranch that the trail crosses. And apparently you're not allowed to ride across the ranch. And I was like, oh, five miles that I just have to, what, push my bike? And I think any other day, or I shouldn't say any other day, in past years, I would have been like, what? I have to push my bike for five miles? This is stupid. Like, what? why would I do that? And I got here, got to the sign. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to push my bike for five miles. And, you know, didn't even, 
second guess it just was completely fine with it and then it turned out that it was just across high desert meadows and there was no trail anyway so walking was not much slower than riding would have been and just kind of enjoyed slowing down and looking around and being out in the meadow and it was fine yeah things that th things that you're most more accustomed to that are really hard just they don't feel as hard after a while Normalize difficulty. If you don't mind me asking, I, I'm just curious. I know we get a lot of questions on this show about, you know, these are awesome adventures. Can you share any insight about, you know, how are you, how do you take this much time off? How do you do these things? How, how is it set up? I don't know. Is, is yeah. Too oh, man, I, I ask myself that every day, it seems like. <laughs> uh, and how do I maintain it? Like, yeah. It, yeah, there's so much, so much to that. But uh, so I was, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I was a geology professor for six years spent uh, a decade yeah almost a decade in grad school my like from age 21 to 30 and so i had a lot of flexibility in what i did then um you know as long as i got the work done i had an advisor that was like oh you want to race to divide rad just get what you need to done and get some samples um yeah and so that samples. you know that worked out really well helped me really kind of follow this passion a bit more mm -hmm. uh when i was working as a professor i had summers off more or less, we weren't under contract in the summers. And so I had a lot of time um, at that point. And uh, for better or for worse, started a coaching company when I was a professor and then also launched the, the Bikepacking Roots nonprofit. And that grew steadily, the coaching grew steadily. And eventually I decided that, that uh, I kind of realized that academia wasn't where I wanted to be long-term. So I stepped away from that, uh, but had, had kind of the, the nonprofit, I was the ED at the time, and had that to really fill fill a void very quickly and the coaching helped and kind of it's just one of those things that as you make space for other things it's always a little hard to know what's going to happen but things always kind of fill that space opportunities that wouldn't have arisen otherwise then do kind of appear and so you know i've been racing bikes at various levels i was an elite level cyclocross racer for a long time and racing bikepacking ultras almost from the beginning of that uh of that genre of racing and had some sponsor support for years but never anything quite as substantial as i needed to like lean on it for for being able to to put more focus on those things and just as as the kind of as the opportunity arose after i left academia I started to pick up some more sponsors to help out with things and learned a lot more about just you know being able to work with with brands and help them get the kind of visibility that they want from athletes and develop some of those partnerships a lot more. And so at this point, um, my life is a very odd mix of kind of professional athlete, coaching, nonprofit work, freelance writing, a bit of freelance photography, you know, a lot of, a lot of pieces to balance. And so that's one of the reasons why getting home from a big adventure is pretty overwhelming is because I feel like I have, you know, six jobs now that I need to kind of catch up on and figure out what I didn't do that I was supposed to be doing and what I need to be doing for planning out next year and all of that. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest, I think the biggest message I might have for listeners is like, don't, don't be afraid to make space in your life for something that you want and don't be afraid to ask for, you know, from, from the folks that have the kind of authority uh, in your life or, or exercise some control over your time, whether it's, you know, employers or what, to have some time off to do things that matter. I think, especially in this, this post pandemic day and age, more employers are recognizing the importance of, of, of staff getting time for, personal development and being a little bit more willing to give people like hmm, a little bit of a sabbatical and take, you know, might be unpaid, but uh, take a little bit of time to go do something that's important for you so that you don't burn out. So I think that, but you know, it's not going to happen if you don't ask for it and don't pursue it a little bit on your own. You have not because you asked not. That is one of the, uh, <laughs> the truths of life I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Just because you asked don't mean you're going to get that, that. That should be the follow up. That's, that's very true. <laughs> yep. That's very true. Was it hard walking away from academia or did it feel like, no, this is, this is right. It was no, I think what I missed most is the teaching side of things. That was what I was most passionate about. I miss the students. I had amazing students at Prescott college. They're just a very unique blend of, of people and they're fantastic. And so I really miss working with them and learning from them and teaching them. So that's, I've, I think I've, 
I'm still struggling to figure out how to fit more kind of education into what I do. There's little opportunities for it here and there, but I haven't quite figured it out out yet. Um, and I think that's the thing that I miss miss the most. But walking away wasn't hard. But I should also say that the decision to walk away was incredibly difficult, which I've had quite a few kind of big life decisions like that, that in the moment seems like so hard to make that decision. And then afterward, you look back, it's like, why was that such a hard decision to make? That was obvious what the right answer was. But uh, but in the moment, they feel really difficult. And sometimes you just have to make that leap and be like, oh, this, this is what I need. Or at least this is what I think I need. I'm pretty confident this is what I need. And you might be wrong, but there's a much better chance you'll be right. <laughs> there, that is a practice. I'm, I'm not like, not a practice like I do it all the time, but I do think, all right, what, do, what in 10 years is going to be an obvious decision looking back <laughs> that I just clearly can't see right now? You yeah. Know what I mean, cause there's, they're, they're happening all around me. I mean, there's decisions that two months ago I didn't make that I thought, why, why would I have done that in the first place? Like, you know what I mean? So I just think mm -hmm. it is scary to think like, what am I going to look back on and say, why was that even a question or what the hell were you <laughs> thinking? You know, yep. so it's, it's tricky, man. It's, it's hard. It's hard. That's why uh, you got to give your past self some grace. Cause it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess to get, to get back to your, your question or a question from a hypothetical listener about like, how do you find the time to do this sort of thing? I think just to kind of tie that up, I would say for me, it, having the time to do it is kind of the result of man, a decade or so of like slowly trying to find more time, find ways to have a little bit more time or a little bit more freedom to be able to do these sorts of things. It definitely didn't come, come overnight or it wasn't just to just, you know, oh, cool. I'm a professional athlete. Suddenly I have all the time in the world to do things. It's not how it works at all. Um, I, I work as hard as ever, but have, have flexibility and I'm able to work some of these, these big adventures into actually partially being work when I'm out there and, or when I get back things related to those. And so that's, that's really um, what's helped make these possible. That's interesting. You know, patience is a big part of that. It Hard is, work is yep. a big part of that. And sacrifice is probably a huge part of that. Yep. And persistence, just, you know, knowing what you want and spending time, a lot of time trying to get there and not expecting it to happen overnight or even in a year. Even, even in a year, you mean a year is, you know, I can't figure this out in a year. So where can folks follow along with what you do? I know you've, you do have some ways you educate folks and you have some ways to, to learn more about you and get involved in what you do. Where would you want to point listeners? Yeah. Oh man. I think, um, following on Instagram, I'm Kurt.retsnyder over there that I, I share links to all sorts of, of things. So that's a good place to go. The, if you want to hear some more stories about the, the CDT trip, I did a series for the Radivist um, cycling website. And I think three of those are up and the other one should be up shortly about that. And so those are, you know, each has a big like photo gallery from the trail and some, some stories from along the way. So that's a place you can hear some more uh, or read some more about it. And, you know, if it's uh, other, other adventure stuff, mostly just, the social media and links to, to articles I write are, are there. Or if you want to see some of the, the routes and trails that I ride that really inspire me, uh, my teammate Kate Boyle and I have a website. It's backcountry-mtb.com. And there we've got a bunch of route, route data and uh, files or route, you know, GPS data from, from Ride with GPS. So you can actually get out there and ride them yourself. And I promise that most of them are not remotely difficult or even nearly as difficult as, as the CDT more enjoyable for more folks. So that's a way that we, we try to really help people get out on, on some, what we think are world-class backcountry trails and have your own experiences there. You know, that's, uh, the reason I'm sitting in front of you is, is bike packing and, uh, folks, it is such a wonderful way to experience the world. We, we, you know, this is a, this is one of the big buckets of adventure types <laughs> we talk about on this show is bike packing. Backpacking of course is another one just because it's so, you know, you don't need a bike it, it, and people yep. can get into it, but still it's, you know, more difficult, you know, according to your friend, um, <laughs> love bike packing. There's my bike packing bike right here, folks. Uh, get out there and do it, whatever it is. And you shared so many cool things that are also, you know, obviously applicable to any adventure. So, well, Kurt, man, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about this one 
tiny little piece of the mosaic of your life and adventure <laughs> life and achievements and everything else. I appreciate you being willing to just hone down on one thing, you know? Oh yeah. Yep. Thanks so much for the conversation, Mason. Always, always a pleasure to talk about things like this. So love that it's fresh too. Yep. Oh man, my body's still feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.